Yo, it's Ed Gallo and Jack Hurley from the Fight Site. We're going to talk about Wrestling Underground 1. And I'm going to try not to call it WUG, because that's just a tough, tough acronym to pronounce. But it happened. It was certainly interesting. If you hadn't seen it, basically the idea is that Chael Sonnen does his uh, Submission Underground promotion. It's grappling under uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational rules in a cage, in a small cage. So some some fun there but uh they they use the cage fully so it's like grappling in an mma context this was freestyle and greco-roman matches and we'll get into it the cage wasn't really supposed to be a factor in the rule set but uh it ended up making a pretty big difference i would say so we'll, we'll get into the details of that per match in general but uh yeah i mean it was a it was a weird event it was odd on paper, the matchups were good. Uh, there, there's a cross weight matchup, so you know bigger guys wrestling smaller guys, which is cool because it provides you with matchups you wouldn't normally see in the domestic scene. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was world caliber guys. It was NCAA champions and all Americans, and it, it looked good. It looked good on paper. And basically, as soon as the first match started, you could kind of tell it was going to be weird. Just be. First of all, the size of the cage. It was small. It was not a lot of mat space. And people were running out of room pretty quickly. And it wasn't actually was not as much space as you would have on a, on a wrestling mat. Plus, you have to consider there's, there's continuation on a wrestling mat. So if you shoot someone out of bounds, things can keep happening out of bounds. Like, as long as it's part of that sequence a little bit. But the cage, I mean, you can't even get to where out of bounds would be. There's a physical barrier. Whereas Chael Sonnen would say an apparatus, which is not the correct use of that word. Uh, so before we talk about the matches, we're just going to talk about the production a little bit and just what it was like. Because with the wrestling community, if you're, if you're not from the wrestling community and you're listening to this, which would be interesting, uh, because the topic we're going to discuss briefly is what is the point of you know, potential crossover events? I, I feel that this was set up, it was on UFC Fight Pass, it was right after a grappling event. Uh, it was pretty clear the purpose of this event was to draw in new fans, MMA fans, grappling fans, casual viewers, essentially. Um, Jack, in general, what do you think about the concept of wrestling trying to appeal to new people rather than the existing fan base? I don't hate it. Um, and I think we should probably talk about this maybe on a, a future episode yeah. of Wrestling for MMA. Uh, but it it seems a bit weird that the UFC and, you know, Fight Pass and whatever haven't really made much effort to do any kind of regular wrestling stuff. And then they jump all the way in with this gimmicky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, I don't hate it. Uh, I didn't take it that seriously. I don't put that much stock in the results of these matches right. for, like, future wrestling stuff. Uh, so I guess weird, but not nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. The whole idea for me is is you know the wrestling community is always talking about growing the sport. How can we grow the sport? Uh, I, I think with something as niche as wrestling, you can say oh combat sports they get popular all the time, but does wrestling <laughs> like grappling has the hobbyist component where there's the business of grappling with jujitsu, it's the studios I and mean, the Gracies. That was their mission with the UFC, and they, they succeeded. With wrestling, it's like you, you don't really – there's no casual 
competitors, really. I mean, if you're in it, you're in it. Uh, and once you're done, you're done, unless you move on to another sport, which is pretty much what happened. So I could see them trying to draw back in people who used to be involved in wrestling or had some contact with wrestling, and it's passed them by. Uh, but that's, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the most efficient thing. And um, if you're a wrestling fan watching this event, you're watching it because you are starved for content. So you're going to watch it. But you're not going to make any new fans, I would say, just because it didn't really represent wrestling all that accurately, aside from one match, which we'll definitely touch on in, in greater detail. Um, so that, there's, there's a weirdness with what the purpose of this was and how effective it was in that regard. And I think the biggest indicator of the weirdness of that event, like what really represents the you know split interest, is Chael Sonnen's performance as the MC and commentator. I haven't listened to his podcast, but I've heard him plenty over the years. And I think it's become clear that over time in the recent years, Chael has become more and more erratic with his speech, you know, rambling all over the place, just, you know, living the bit a little more than, than usual. And uh, he was a one-man show for Wrestling Underground. It was entertaining at times. It was annoying most of the time, I would say. Uh, and Chael is, it's interesting because he, I mean, he was an All-American in college and he was on the Greco scene for a long time. He's high up on the ladder, he made national teams. But like his understanding of wrestling, explaining it, not great for, for an actual wrestling fan. And then his efforts to like explain simple things for someone that didn't know anything about wrestling, he he chose weird details to explain. Um, like trying, he, he would be like, "Oh, let me under explain what an underhook position is," but then like all the greater concepts of scoring and dynamics of a match and you know other stuff that would be important to know, he didn't touch on that was during the matches and then between the matches he did not talk about the match that just happened or the match that was coming up he mostly read texts from his phone and like tried to tell stories about people in the wrestling community and it was mostly like insider conversation insider humor but even for insiders it wasn't i don't know did you did you feel spoken to by any by any of Chael's rambling? Uh no. <laughs> it it seemed like he couldn't figure out who like what audience he should be aiming his commentary at. <clears throat> and he couldn't figure out what exactly his purpose was, if he should be explaining it, if he should be like selling you, like explaining why it's cool, right. if he should be like giving play by play. And he tried to do all of it. Mm-hmm. And so he, he you know, he'd be trying to explain what is an underhook. Oh, it's when you, you kind of like reach inside their arm and grab them. So like their arm is right here and you want to move your arm right there. So you go to the inside and under of it and like things like that. But then he'd say, uh, oh, and that's a great shot. Oh, and they run into the apparatus. And then he would randomly start talking about Pyle, which is his name for uh, Christian Piles, who's a wrestling media figure. He was just completely all over the place and trying to do way, way, way too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, who who could accomplish that, really? So you can't even blame Chill for not doing well at that. But he shouldn't have been trying to do that. And I don't know what their funding is like. Maybe they couldn't afford to have another man in the broadcast with him, but I think he could have just 
focus and also I, I don't think a lot of preparation went into it from his perspective he wasn't even prepared to speak about what difference the cage would make and it's like you know you you've wrestled in the cage many times like it's all the same dynamics minus the striking it's like cage wrestling is an established art form even divorced from submissions and strikes i mean there's things that happen um and he said oh it's an experiment it's never been done before we're gonna we're all learning together that's not necessarily true (laughs) so i don't want to bag on chael the whole time uh but it if you can catch a replay it was it was almost funny how ridiculous he was but it was mostly not funny it was just so (laughs) incessant it wasn't funny yeah, it was just nonstop. He never. It's stopped. like it's it's funny if you hear a joke once, and it's not funny if you hear it eight times. Mm-hmm. It, it was because he just kept doing. It's like, okay, chill. This isn't even funny anymore. Stop. He was chilling, chilling around. But the matches were pretty good. I would say I would definitely, like I said in the beginning, a little under my expectations because I, I guess I didn't realize how small the space was. Um, but yeah, like right off the bat, it became really apparent what the dynamics were going to be of the space and the cage, as well as the size differentials. So with a larger space, a smaller wrestler has more room to maneuver and they can you know, set up different attacks. And if they get pushed back, there's a little more wiggle room to deal with that. In a smaller cage, I mean, it's you you got to force stuff a little more. You got to stand your ground a little more. You got to be more physical. And that's always going to play to the, the bigger person. So what was going order that they happened? Um, so Joey McKenna versus Tyler Berger was the first matchup. Uh, Jack got this one right. I got this one wrong. Okay. And uh, Berger wrestled 157 in college. McKenna wrestled 141. Even if theoretically they're both like wrestling 65 kilograms soon, which seems unlikely, but maybe yeah, that's I think Berger 74. 74, yeah. But they they looked like different size wrestlers, which they were. And uh, you could tell McKenna was feeling the pressure, and uh, when he was defending shots his like foot was getting caught against the cage and he was like trying to sprawl sprawl fully and uh you know, get his hips back and counter with chest straps which is totally valid in freestyle but it was really really difficult for him to get that kind of counter game going because you need space to chest wrap someone and he was he couldn't even bear his weight back because his feet were hitting the cage and then when he's getting pushed back his legs were hitting the cage and he couldn't actually get a base under him to do it and uh, it just kept happening where he would go to do something that might work on a mat and then getting run into the cage and couldn't really get much going. But uh, did you have any other like stylistic observations about this one? Or was it more of the, um, the size I mean, of the cage? It, there's, there's a reason it was always McKenna who was the one struggling with the cage. I mean, it was Berger getting to the legs more and it right. was Berger able to push forward more. Um, and I think that was kind of the, the size and length disparity that we talked about. Um, and a Berger, uh, Berger, I think, scrambles better than people give him credit for. There was uh, there was one sequence where he, McKenna was like 90% of the way to a takedown, and Berger just kind of kept wrestling and got out of it. But it, it does seem like kind of the the story of that match was uh, they, they kept running into the fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in the future, for future bookings, they should consider a little bit more the, the styles of the wrestlers and like what would look really good from a freestyle perspective. Because with the Greco match, I mean, they, they did throws, which is the way to make mm-hmm. Greco exciting. With freestyle, you want to have, you know, cool takedowns, sure. But also, I think scrambles, I think high-level freestyle scrambling is one of the coolest things to look at um, because they're 
there's so much that goes into it and you have to avoid exposing and so many points can go on the board really fast and it's one of the best parts of freestyle but with a smaller area and a bigger uh, and a, a cage in the way those things get stifled pretty quickly so I think you have to have guys that are more willing to have those like center mat exchanges and fire off attacks and, and are faster so I think more smaller wrestlers might be a better move like more 57 kilogram guys 61s and uh, guys who specifically take a lot of leg taps and are more active I think that might be good if you're if you're trying to showcase the sport in this setting I think you have to pick guys that are going to be better for that I'm not sure how much thought went into the selection of athletes in the matchmaking uh, like for example we're not talking about it yet but during the Shakur Rashid uh, Sammy Brooks match Shale was like the appeal of this match is that it's Iowa versus Penn State and like that's Yes, <laughs> they're both still very good teams in 2020, and they're, they're two of the best teams in the NCAA, but like, it's, it doesn't really add to the goodness of the match. And I think he, he mentioned that it was a selling point for Dana White, who apparently had to okay this. Um, he said, yo, it's Iowa versus Penn State, and Dana was like, sign me up, because I guess those are the wrestlers he knows. But yeah, I don't know how, how they thought about this, but I saw Jackie was suggesting some matches uh, on Twitter and as a – response which is good but yeah Berger won and he called out Anthony Ashnault which I think would be cool and I think Ashnault would beat him so if they want to do that again great but yeah was the Greco match second yeah I think Greco was next okay so Ben Provisor oh yeah and after this match I declared that all of the bigger wrestlers would win and I think that was true all the big wrestlers uh, won it depends on how you view McFadden's bigger yeah and it depends on how big you think Deron Witt is. Oh, heavy is different than bigger, in my opinion. <laughs> he might weigh more than Colin Moore, but he's not bigger. All right, then yes, I think the bigger guy won. All the bigger guys won, so <laughs> that was probably the way to pick these matches. But I think if we knew more about the space, we probably would have went that way. But, I mean, Jack did go that way. <laughs> I would have I would have been more careful about that. But, yeah, the Greco match. Okay, so Elephant in the Room was the first throw a shoot was it a work basically uh i don't remember the position but i think uh it, it was some sort of over under and perkins stepped around and threw him and provisor like jumped over his head like he went like fully airborne in, a, in like a kind of like, like a lateral throw but he like really went and hit over heels and it, it was very exaggerated and you know people like austin our friend austin early who have a lot of experience at greco and watch a lot of greco say sometimes when you hit a throw perfectly it doesn't look real. Like it looks effortless and ridiculous. But I mean, it was pretty early on and it looked crazy. So a lot of people are speculating whether it was real or not. Um, do, do you have a take on that? Do you think it was <laughs> yeah, possibly it, fake? I don't think it was worked work in the sense that it was, you know, coordinated. I think it was, uh, you know how like in the NBA all-star game, uh, they don't. No, I don't know that. Okay. So, <laughs> Basically, in sports all-star games, a lot of times they try really hard to do cool stuff on offense, mm-hmm. and they do not try really hard on defense. Like, they're not letting them score. They're just right. not giving full effort. But then when they do have the ball, and they go, all right, now i got to do something cool, and then they, they go hard. And it, it seemed like they were kind of doing that, where it was, yeah. you know what, like, we're, we're kind of here to have fun. I'm going to do something cool. They're giving – max effort offensively and 70% effort defensively. And that's mm-hmm. what that looks like. 
it yeah. is a little suspicious how quickly on the very first throw provisor accelerated off the mat. Like the speed that his feet are moving at uh, from the first like half of the throw seems very unusual. Uh, but who cares? Yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, I, mean, I mean, I think it's Perkins gets to the throw and he provides like, oh, he's hitting it. All right. And just goes with it instead of trying mm-hmm. to fight down. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's possible they had like a gentleman's agreement beforehand. Like, hey, if I'm hitting something, let's let's make it big like a couple times just to sell the sport. Because, I mean, Greco has been under a lot of pressure lately with the, the flow event and Downey and everybody. And like, there's always been talk against Greco but I mean it was really in the spotlight lately so I think as the only Greco match in the card they made an extra effort to show out and I mean we talked about how boring this was going to be beforehand and it was definitely the most high scoring exciting match of the night I mean they're both throwing each other a ton lots of points in the first period and then Provisor slowed it down and just kind of hung on to his lead um, and pushed Perkins around more like what we thought was going to happen but yeah they really let Mm -hmm. it fly to start with so it was cool it was great uh and Provisor won and uh he did an interview with uh, USA Wrestling recently, and I don't know, seemed seemed genuine. So I don't think it was worked or, or anything, but like maybe there were some shoot elements in the, in the very beginning because that's I could see two like real competitors saying like let's make some stuff happen early on, and then, and then we'll get serious, and that way we we'll, like have similar amounts of points. And with the size discrepancy, maybe it's fair that Perkins gets the bigger throw. I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. I don't think it's a problem. If they did have any sort of arrangement, this isn't a. There aren't any real stakes to this event, um, and yeah, you gotta you gotta show out. So, I thought it was fine either way. It was a great match, and uh, definitely exceeded our expectations. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, all right, Rashid and Brooks was next, right? Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? Yeah, it was. Was Rashid was. bigger? Than Brooks, um, probably he he wrestled mo- right. most so all the big guys at a higher weight, but yeah, I'd say one time the, the bigger. I, I, I think uh, <laughs> I think they'll be at the same weight though. The be eighty six. Uh, yeah, they'll be because it because it was one ninety for this thing, and Rashid seems mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. So he'll be an eighty six, I think. So Rashid looked pretty good in the first mm-hmm. period, right? Yeah, he looked. Um, he looks like he actually knows how to do moves again. I mean, he he just barely did anything uh, the last year or so. It seemed like with Penn State, where against anyone good, he was not going to score a lot, and he got three takedowns, two in the first like couple minutes. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of what we talked about the um, the Brooks versus Aaron Brooks match, mm-hmm. where he. You know, Sammy Brooks sort of has has issues uh, with being a bit slower, being a bit more plodding. Guys get to his legs a little quicker, but it, he kind of, uh, with, with his pace and his pressure, eventually ends up catching up and then pulling away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, Brooks definitely kept pressuring him uh, from his ties and, you know, keeping a higher – work rate even if he wasn't taking a lot of attacks he was making him work pushing him around and uh Rashid mm-hmm. got tired which was pretty normal for him and his style and he he went pretty hard in the beginning so I think there might have been a little bit of a dump there he didn't gas out completely he just he faded a bit 
that allowed Brooks to move him around. But the best thing that happened in this match is uh, you, you've watched it more recently than I have, so correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he had him in front headlock, and he used the front headlock to push him back to the cage, and Rashid was standing up tall, and then he transitioned from the front headlock to the double against the cage, and he finished that. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome, and that's exactly the kind of thing that you can do. Uh, and MMA in, in the cage is, is there for you. You can release you know, a hold, and they're still there, and if they don't widen their base, it's a really easy shot. And uh, did, he, did he lift off, or did he pull him back? He pulled him back. Yeah, that's cool, too, because that's, that's another cage tactic. I mean, I think anyone instinctively as a wrestler, like there's a barrier driving forward you know, to bundle him and lift him, but uh, he knew that he can pull him straight back and put his butt in the mat. So that was great. We should also mention that in the Provisor-Perkins match, uh, Provisor, first of all, this is, seemed like not how the rules were written, but <laughs> Provisor uh, pushed him to the cage with the underhook and kept him there for a little bit and adjusted his grip and I think got a body lock and threw him off of that. Mm-hmm. The rules that we saw that Gadsden posted said that if you're not like continuing an attack against the cage, they're supposed to break it. And I saw some I, I really that, quick breaks. I thought that seemed like pretty legitimate but then it also seemed like as the event went on they started yeah getting a little bit stricter with that Mm -hmm. compared to the other calls it seemed like it went way further without like an attack attack going on Mm -hmm. but whatever it was cool and and it was cool that professor knew to do that and all all the instances where people seemed to like actually want to use the cage and used it was awesome the mckenna burger matches one where he's like they were just wrestling and then mckenna was running out of room and then that was it (laughs) that was the only one where there was like no no use of the cage really proactively but yeah that was really cool that sammy brooks did that and uh he won the match and looked good doing it so i i enjoyed that one and i believe we had mcfadden versus tommy gant next i think i think uh win more oh yeah there was so many matches in the it was supposed to be mark hall in the co-main slot right right so colin moore a 197 in college and i believe a, a 97 kilogram guy uh, in freestyle versus Jerome Lynn, who's been at 86 and 97. He's an MMA fighter now. He didn't do nothing. He tried a little bit, Jerome Lynn did, but I mean, Moore was hand fighting so so heavy and uh, just keeping him tied up and put a lot of pressure on him. And I feel like Wynn couldn't really make any any dynamic movements happen. He couldn't really set up the shots. And then when he did try to get to Moore's legs, it felt like he just ran into a wall and just his timing and like the the explosion on the shots. It didn't really look like there was a way for him to win that match. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of what we talked about, that he's just too far away yeah. to really move the person. He So 97 kilograms uh, is 213 pounds. That's what this match was contested at. Mm-hmm. Uh, when last wrestled at 202, uh, fought, I think, at 185. Yeah. Um, and was short at that weight. And it, I mean, more, uh, more did some pretty cool stuff with the misdirection where he would, mm-hmm. he would take like a duck under, but then shoot to the far leg. Um, and that was pretty good, but it, it seemed like Wynn just kind of had nothing for him. Mm-hmm. There was that one time I think we had him pressing him really hard from like collar ties or something like that. And then more, uh, cut off the, uh, the engagement and then, uh, hit a really cool low double, which was fun. But yeah, more looked good. It wasn't like the best opponent to measure him against but I mean he, he was steady he looked good when didn't look incompetent or anything I just didn't that's not a good match to win if you're completely out of it and the guy's big and tall and you're not trying that hard <laughs> yeah 
I, I enjoyed it. That was a good performance. It was probably one of the most one-sided matches, second most one-sided match of the night, I would say. Um, yeah, so was supposed to be Mark Hall and Tom and Gant. We were pretty excited for that one. And then a few days out, Mark Hall is injured, I believe, and has to pull out. And another Penn RTC guy, David McFadden, steps in. And McFadden was a 165 the whole time in college. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he was uh, – he, he did a year at 174, but he was oh, okay. mostly a 165. Yeah, and Gant was a, a 157 guy. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Cool. So McFadden might have been a little bigger, but I don't think it was – Yeah, they'll, they'll probably both be at 74 mm-hmm. for the so Olympic year. Basically even, even on this one, but McFadden looked really good. I, I think this is probably like, I don't know, OW performance of the night considering they were similar in size. Um, they're both competing actively, and it was like a competitive match, and McFadden looked, looked amazing. So what what was your read on this one? Uh, McFadden looked pretty good. I mean, he he did kind of what he does best, which is just shoot a lot. Mm-hmm. It I, I was surprised how, uh, how little Gant was able to do when yeah. he did stop the shots. When, you know, Gant would completely sprawl out on him and couldn't hit a go behind or a re-attack or anything. Uh, and then when Gant got to his own shots, couldn't really finish. Um, and, and so I, I guess I was just impressed with McFadden because that's the type of match he's lost before. Um, and it's, it's also, he's coming off, I assume some kind of injury cause he looked really bad mm-hmm. in like February and March of this year. So it looks like he's back and he's going to be good for uh, his freestyle career. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, being at the Penn RTC with uh, you know Mark Hall and Jordan Burroughs around up in uh, Dan Valmont, unless he left. But yeah, I mean, that's a really good situation. So definitely keeping a closer eye on McFadden as we go. I mean, he ended his college career pretty badly, like you said, losing to like my guy, Jake Wenzel at ACC's after beating him pretty handily before that. So yeah, maybe he was dealing with something and now he's back and healthy and, and looking strong. Yeah, that was really cool. So I, I was surprised, but but happy about it because I, like I said, Penn RTC, I'm I'm always going to support that my Philly guys. And then he uh, he shouted out Philly and Jersey, and he said I'm going down the shore. So I don't know what that meant, which which shore, but usually it's the Jersey Shore if you're saying that and you're in Philly. Anyway, the main event, pretty much what we thought <laughs> was going to happen is Gwiz was going to take a lot of shots, and uh, Gadsden wasn't going to be able to do much about it because you know, he's not like a super dynamic defender and was big and good at finishing singles and yeah he looked cool out of shoe game and his uh his compression top and and shorts the whole get up was great uh, it's just a really tough matchup for him like we said and it went pretty much exactly as we predicted yeah if anything it was more one-sided than i thought i didn't yeah i didn't expect it to just be over so quickly mm-hmm but, I mean, I mean Gwizdowski looked good and Gatson looked like he just wasn't able to leave with someone who's good and also bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, our the fact that we didn't have a ton to say about all those matchups kind of tells you what the night was like. It, it went really quickly. The card went super fast. And not all of the matches were competitive. And the ones that were competitive were still kind of weird. And Charles' commentary really made it hard to focus on the quality of the matches, and uh, he couldn't pronounce 
Gwizdowski's name. He's calling him Gizwowski, which is also Kyle distracting. Snyder. What was that? He also couldn't pronounce Kyle Snyder's name. Schneider, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, and he said it about 20 times when there was yeah. no need to. Yeah. And he's talking about uh, booking Bo Nickel versus Austin DeSanto. It's a 97-kilogram guy versus mm-hmm. like a 61, a 57, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Uh, it's a lot of weirdness going on. But if you're a glutton for punishment, I, I would suggest going to Fight Pass and rewatching the car because there's good wrestling and then maybe have the sound off if you just want to watch the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're doing another one of these. Not until December because, I mean, Senior Nationals are in October. And uh, Beat the Streets is in September at some point later this month. And uh, th- there's, there's wrestling going on in between. So I think he needs people out of their competition cycle just to agree to it so yeah i mean overall takeaways from the card anything you you didn't get to say about it um i think part of why there wasn't that much action against the fence people didn't really know what they were getting into right and i think now that we've seen it and if they have more of these people are going to prepare more for the fence Mm -hmm. they're going to work to uh, put people against the fence and, you know, do, uh, you know, finishes they've prepared and it's going to get uglier in terms of not having enough space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- I'd be interested to see if there's more MMA fighters involved, like wrestlers turned MMA yeah. fighters. Uh, and maybe even, I don't know. I don't know if I'd rather see an MMA fighter wrestler against a wrestler or two MMA wrestlers against each other in this setting. I don't, I'm not sure what I want out of this event moving forward. I'd like a bigger cage, but I think that's mm-hmm. probably a lot to ask for, and he probably just has the one cage. He doesn't want to, have to get another one. That's my guess. Um, and plus, they already have the uh, the size for the submission cards, and I think they've been going pretty well, apparently. So maybe not there. But yeah, I don't know. Next time there's an event, we'll talk about it. And next time you hear from us in terms of an event, I think it'll probably be for Beat the Streets. In like three weeks from now, we don't know the lineup for that card. I think Yanni Diakamahalis is going to be on it. He quote tweeted the event with like a something, some sort of emoji. So maybe maybe he's going to be on it. I don't know against who. Uh, probably a foreign opponent if they can get that going. Cause yeah, like it's been that. weird that they uh, they put out the press release today for an event that's supposed to happen in 17 days. Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is. Apparently they were targeting uh, Jordan Oliver versus Ilyas Bekbulitskov uh, from Russia, but I don't know what the deal is with that right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're going to know anything. I, I think they don't know what the story is going to be with the college wrestlers. They don't know right. if they can have any youth matches and they're still just trying to throw something together. Mm-hmm. On the bright side, Beat the Streets usually has women's matches, which is, you know, no no strings attached, really. Even though, I mean, they, I think they do get paid a little bit for these. But typically, unless you're Jordan Burroughs, you don't, like, ask for more and, like, negotiate your price. So it's just another chance for, for women's wrestlers to get representation. And we'll talk about the matches once they are booked. And, yep, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, Wrestling Underground, WUG, a little bit of a mess but decent to have to have competition again. And uh, Jack has an article that will be out at this point. No, right after this, it'll be out uh, about Mark Hall, right? 
Yeah, it was meant to be a, a preview of this event when he pulled out. I sort of reworked it to just make it about sort of his career and what I like about him and what we might see from him going forward. Mm -hmm. I am excited to read that because I'm a guy who doesn't totally understand Mark Hall entirely. Um, I would say that I've always seen him as a guy who's like, yeah, he has all his good competency areas, like really, really strong in most positions, but then he doesn't like do a thing mm -hmm. to people. Like his matches don't look any particular way. And sometimes he's just like, I'm going to do this move now. And he just does the move and it works a lot of the time. Uh, that's always been my read on him. So I never really liked him. <laughs> so I'm like, what does he even, yeah, he, does he he even do? He reminds me a lot actually of Chimizo. Mm. That's fair. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I guess read it and you'll hopefully find out a little bit more. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. So everyone read that once it's out. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you later. But goodbye. Goodbye for now.